Hey guys, Jeremy here with Simple Life. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well. Hopefully life is treating you good. And uh, man, things have been so busy lately, but really, really good. Uh, so I haven't done shows for a couple of weeks. Again, you know, <laughs> the, the the Christmas rush is gone, but life is still busy. And in thinking about that, it's not that I'm just working all the time. I mean, I'm, I am very busy with work. I've got a lot of knives on the go right now. But I'm, you know, the one thing that this whole, uh, this pandemic that we're going through, to me, has kind of been a real eye-opener. And in a way, (laughs) maybe like a midlife crisis, in that, you know, there is no certainty in life. And when I look at it, and I look at how much our world has changed, our lives have changed, I realized that I was just taking normal life for granted. And... Uh, This, what's been going on now, I mean, we're under certain restrictions here. They've extended the restrictions here. Um, You know, without getting too into it, it made me realize that, you know what? Nothing is guaranteed. And ultimately, the life we had before, I mean, at the moment, it's completely gone. Who knows how long it's going to be gone for? Who knows if it's going to come back? Obviously, I would certainly hope that it does. But, you know, with this whole pandemic, it's amazing how everybody just gave up on everything. You know, just, oh, normal life, goodbye. I'm terrified. I'm afraid. Now, the one thing that has me uh, a certain glimmer of hope is that fear is no way to control a people. It's not sustainable. So I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to scare people into staying inside. You know, I read an article this morning. I'm not sure how true it is. I haven't dug into it too much, but from the sounds of it, there were over 50,000 restaurants in Italy that just opened up all at the same time. They said, you know what? Enough's enough. No restrictions, no social distancing, no masks. And the government obviously were like, whoa, what's going on? We got we to gotta crack down on this. And within 24 hours, they just gave up. <laughs> when I hear that, I think, man, maybe there is a glimmer of hope. I don't know. But anyways, back to this whole pandemic and this midlife crisis, not a midlife crisis, but it's really given time to think, first of all, but also made me think about the fact that, you know what, Uh, due to unforeseen circumstances, everything could be gone. You know, it kind of reminds me of when I got let go from working at Sanjel. I worked hard for that company. I did a very good job and through no fault of my own, I didn't have work anymore. They had to let me go. And that was kind of what put me down this whole road of the simple little life and that I didn't ever want my livelihood to be tied to somebody else's decisions. I wanted to be self-made. Whether I failed, whether I succeeded, I want it all on me. So this kind of reminds me of, of going through that same thing and some of the changes I made in my life at that point in time. I think what I'm doing right now is kind of the next step in those changes. You know, I'm like, I've been busy because I've been prioritizing things that I never had before now. Spending time with my kids, doing the things that I like doing, not necessarily what I, what society thinks, oh, you need to do this as a responsible adult. There's things we can't even do as a responsible adult right now. And so I have very much appreciated this pandemic and what it's, it's allowed me to stop and kind of reframed the way that I think about things. Uh, the way that I prioritize what it is that I need to do. Who am I doing it for? 
And ultimately, the thought comes to my mind, what if it was all over tomorrow? What if everything disappeared tomorrow? Would you be happy with the way you lived today? And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make sure that the things that I'm doing today are things that, you know, if, if everything goes away, if we never get back to normal, if people keep on accepting the lies and the fear, am I going to be okay? Like, what am I doing right now? And so to that end, you know what? We are going skiing weekly. We're saying, hey, you know what? To heck with it. Who knows when this whole thing's going to be over? I'm going skiing. Um, there's a certain point where you don't want to be reckless. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, that's it. I'm buying a Ferrari. I've always wanted a Ferrari. I'm buying one today. You know, uh, that, that might not be the greatest decision. You don't want to put yourself in a bad situation. You don't want to be reckless. Like the guy who thought he won the lottery and, you know, lipped off his boss and blah, 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 blah. And then he found out he read the ticket wrong. <laughs> you know, we don't want to do stuff like that. But at the same time, the things that are really important to you, the things that you like doing, the things that satisfy your soul. This has been a real eye-opener for me to make sure I am doing those things and concentrating on those things. So, uh, recently I have released a two videos. I actually did two videos on Saturday. The first video was making a small EDC, the EDC Companion. It's a knife that I had featured before in a video, uh, but this one I did like a vlog-style video. So, pretty much before every step, I kind of explained the step, why I was doing it, offered a little bit of tips and tricks and information. And that, I think I'm just going off memory, I don't remember for sure, but that video was like 42 minutes long, I think, which might be the, <laughs> the longest video I've ever done on my channel. Uh, t- kind of taking a, a, a cue out of the book of uh, The Art of Craftsmanship, uh, another great podcast and great YouTube channel. Those guys do wonderful videos and uh, they're pretty long. They can be really long, but at the same time, <laughs> I watch them. You know, you start with them and, and they're so good and they're so captivating Uh, They've got the pace figured out that you stay engaged and you watch them. And there's a lot of value in watching those videos. There's a lot that can be learned. I know in the whole YouTube world, when you're like a content creator, the thought process is like, okay, people don't have a long attention span. And it's true. It's very true. And so there's always kind of this underlying urge that you need to hurry it up. You need, you need to get on, you know, chop, 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 chop. And to a certain degree, yes, there's a certain point in time. You've got a very short window to actually get people to be like, am I going to continue to watch this? People watch a YouTube video and they make up their minds within the first several seconds, less than a half of a minute, whether or not they're going to stick around or not. So I think that idea, you know, you kind of got to engage them right away, entice them right away. But at the same time, you know, the way I started this video, I said, we're going to build this and I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to be explaining every step. So hopefully, you know, for the audience that would enjoy that, that's enough to be like, okay, cool. I will invest the time into this video. Those people that just want to watch something real quickly, some people enjoy like the fast forward style videos, which I enjoy watching myself. But at the same time, if I think one's going to be that and they're like, okay, we're going to rush through this build and then it ends up being a 45 minute video. Well, that's a little bit fraudulent on their part in the beginning of the video. So I wanted to make sure it's clear. We're going to walk through this together and you can stick around. And uh, that video is doing okay. Uh, At the same time I released that video, I had also made sheaths for these knives that I do in this video. And so I thought, you know what? I haven't done a Kydex video for a while. I'm going to do a quick Kydex. And I was kind of running out of time when I was filming it. So I opted to do a voiceover for that one and way easier to work in the shop when you're not uh, kind of explaining every step before you do it. So for that video, I let the cameras roll and I kind of filmed the process of making the sheath. So at the end of it, I had two videos and I actually released them at the same time on a Saturday morning. 
And much to my chagrin, I think that was the wrong thing to do. Um, neither video did well. And I kind of thought about it like this. Like I never, I don't know why I didn't think about this, but probably two hours, three hours after I, I uploaded those videos and put them live, I was looking at the numbers. I thought, man, this is kind of disheartening. There's not a lot of people watching. But then if I were to add the numbers of both videos together, I'm like, okay, so that's not bad. But ultimately I forced people to divide their attention. Like which video of mine do you want to watch? Do you want to watch the knives or the sheaths? <laughs> and so I don't know if I'll do that again, but at the same time, when I finished the knife video, um, I was going to put them together, but then once I realized the edit was like 40 some minutes, I thought I'm not going to tack on another 10 or 12 minutes to make the sheaths. And I wanted to be able to, at that video, when I closed the video, I said, you can click right here and you, know, you can put the little end of the end screen card where people can click through the next video. I wanted to make sure that was there when the knife video went live. So I upload them both at the same time and they're coming around. They're starting to do okay. Uh, but that was going on. And uh, another thing that's been happening is, uh, we, well, obviously we've been skiing once a week. We head out to uh, Nakiska, local, it's a, technically I think it's a mountain, but it's more of a hill. It's all right. It's okay. Um, it, it's not one of the biggest hills here, but for where our family is at ski-wise, it gives us plenty of excitement and terrain. And that, that has been wonderful. You know, it was interesting because last year um, the season got cut short when this whole COVID stuff started. And we were nervous. We're like, what's going to happen now? What are the restrictions now? And they're actually really quite uh, strict with people in masks. And uh, obviously, it's easy to wear a face mask when you're skiing because it's cold, generally. And um, But, you know, there's been the odd time when I've had, like, my nose sticking out. <laughs> you know, the classic. And this is a ski mask, right? This is something you typically wear when you're skiing. This, You know, the, on the hill, it doesn't look any different than... Uh, any other season, but man, every time I've had like my note, my mask, not all the way up, they're like, oh, please, sir, can you pull your mask up? So, you know what? At the same time, I respect them. It's like, you guys are doing what you need to do to comply, which is great. And I appreciate them doing that so that I can have access to the chairlift so that I can use a hill. Uh, other things that they've said, you know, there's absolutely no uh, hanging out in the lodge. You know, they got the tables in there and usually you'll come in, you've got your lunches and you hide them under the table. When you come in for lunch, you find that table and if there's somebody there, you just grab your stuff and go sit at a different table. Well, the rules were that you're not allowed to store anything inside and nobody is listening to that. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're trying to comply our family. So we keep, you know, our cooler in the van and all that stuff. And then when we decide we're going to have lunch, I go and I grab it. I bring it to the lodge. We find a table. They've probably taken out half the tables, which is actually really nice. Um, there's a lot of parts of the social distancing that I actually really dig. Uh, the one thing I've noticed though is that in the grocery stores and shopping centers, in the beginning before masks were mandatory, people were like full on six feet. Let's do it. You know, let's let's isolate. And it was kind of nice. You know, you're not you're not getting your heels bumped into by some old lady's shopping cart. But now that people have a mask on, they, they feel they could just like rub right against you when they're walking down the grocery aisle. And it's, I'm like, come on guys, six, come on, let's, let's obey all the rules here. You know, if I've got to wear a mask, you need to keep your six feet away from me. And mostly just because I don't like being around people. You know, you got to take the good with the bad and try and make it work for you. But we've been doing that. We've been skiing and uh, it's great. It's been so nice. Uh, for that, I usually end up working Saturdays then so that uh, I can take a day off during the week to ski when the hill isn't too busy. And then I've also been doing a lot of cycling. Um, I bought a new bike, another bike. I think I'm three bikes in the last three months. Um, man, it, it's like a lifelong problem I have with bicycles. Uh, there was a time 
in my life when I lived in Rockyford. And I had 27 bicycles that were mine. This isn't my wife's bikes or my kids' bike. These were my own bicycles. And these 27 bicycles, they were all in rideable condition, right? I mean, they all had chains. Uh, you know, the derailleurs were all adjusted. You know, that might need to top up the tire pressure here and there. But I had so many bicycles. I'm not entirely sure why. Um, maybe it's like a sick, sick addiction I have in my head to bicycles. Uh, but I'm slowly kind of going back there and it's like, it's kind of making me nervous, but it's also making me really excited. And it, my wife just kind of rolls her eyes at me. She's like, oh, another bike. Great. And, uh, the bike that I picked up this time, it's another Surly and this is called the Surly Crosscheck. And if you know cycling, you may have heard of like cross, cycle cross racing, where it's basically like, they're kind of like road bikes. Like they look like the 10 speed bikes with slightly wider tires. And they're typically like a grass slash mud track with obstacles, the good riders can actually just kind of ollie over them, kind of ride over them. Uh, the less experienced riders actually have to dismount, carry their bikes. They'll have steps up and down that you either jump off your bike, run up the steps carrying your bike, or the good riders, again, some of them can actually ride right up. And so that was kind of the play on this bicycle. It's, it's a road bike, but you can fit wider tires. Ultimately, it's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. Uh, you can set this up with gears. You can go single speed. You can go fixed gear. Uh, you know, you can use it for commuting. Some people use them for touring, all kinds of things. Uh, drop bars you can put on. You can put flat bars on. Uh, when I bought it, it was a single speed with flat bars, and I really like the single speed. I'm a big fan of single speed bicycles, uh, but I like drop bars too. So I grabbed my parts bin, uh, found a set of bars that worked good, threw that on there, and I've been putting some pretty decent miles on the bike. In fact, I think so far this year, I think I've been riding every day except for two days. And that was kind of a little, not really goal, but I wanted to see if I could ride almost every single day of the year. And so that's been happening lately. Like right now, we finally got some cold weather. Uh, so I'm riding in like minus 18 degrees Celsius. And uh, it's interesting once I'm getting back into it, like there was a time when I commuted, I think it was a year and a half and I never drove a vehicle to work once. It was a bicycle for a year and a half straight. And when you do that, you learn well how to dress. You know, it's like, okay, if it's this temperature, I'm going to want this. And the biggest problem you have when you're just starting out is overdressing. And then you get hot and sweaty, and then you're in trouble unless you're going to be home right away. And it's interesting because getting back into winter cycling, I totally forget how to dress for it. And so I'm finding myself doing a lot of experimenting, you know, trying this and okay, I was comfortable with this, but my hands were cold and then this and this and okay, this time I was way too hot. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it's kind of like a little, a little hobby, you know, a little something that you're trying to figure out, even though I knew it, I knew it at one point in time, I've forgotten it and uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the beauty about where we live right now is we've got gravel and gravel and gravel and on my rides, usually I'm only riding up to 45 minutes or an hour, uh, but almost every single ride, I don't ever encounter a car or a truck. It's so nice. I mean, it's just me riding around. I got to look out for the odd farm dogs that try and chase you. And uh, that's, that's the biggest fear of mine. I hate being chased by dogs. I really don't enjoy it at all. It was funny because I, uh, I found this new bike shop in Calgary called Bike Bike YYC. And these guys are good bicycle guys. I mean, they, they've got all the good stuff, like the bike packing type things, uh, bike bicycle touring, not like the big box bicycle shops where it's all carbon fiber and full suspension. Uh, I'm talking like the niche little stuff, you know, really nice pannier racks and different bags and ways to carry things on your bike. And I was asking the, the store owner, I said, you know, he's also doing this company where he does gravel tours. 
And so they will kind of support your tour. They'll come up with a route, you know, you can pick how long you want to go. And, you know, at the end of the day, they'll have all your, your tent and all your camping stuff, food ready for you. And so I was asking him like on these, these routes that he's putting together on these gravel roads across Alberta. I said, what do you do about, about dogs? Like, is that a problem? And he said, oh yeah, it's a, it's a real problem. It's something we always have to deal with. And so I asked him his, uh, his methods for dealing with dogs that chase you. Uh, the one he says works good, but it takes a little bit of courage is you just wait till the dog's really close and squirt them with a water bottle, <laughs> like right in the face. And I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to let a mean barking dog ever get that close to me. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I can handle that, man. Sometimes, I mean, you can pedal as hard as you want. And sometimes that dog just keeps gaining on you and gaining on you. And uh, he said, one other thing they do is that they'll carry snacks just to throw at the dog. And I thought, that's brilliant. Except for when I was driving home, I thought, wait a minute, there's gonna be a dog running around chasing these cyclists and they pull out some hot dogs or something, right? They'll keep something dedicated, like a meat snack, uh, just to throw at the dog. And so they'll kind of let the dog get a sniff of it, maybe, you know, kind of toss one up in the air and uh, maybe throw one in the ditch in hopes that the dog goes for the bait. But then what is that teaching that dog? <laughs> it says a cyclist is like a snack, right? Somebody's going to be riding their bike down the road. That guy might have a hot dog for me, might have a piece of bacon. I'm going to go chase him for it. And so I kind of think, you know, for the immediate fix to your problem, yes, that could be the solution. However, on the grand scale, you really kind of ruin it for the next batch of cyclists that are coming down there. So I think the next time I, I go in there, I just want to talk to him about that and see if he's thought about that end of it. But well, what I do, uh, I carry bear spray, hope. The hope is that I never, ever have to use it. Uh, but you know, my sister, uh, she, she's into running and stuff and she carried bear spray. She actually had to spray one of her neighbor's dog's neighbor down the road. They also live out in the country. And she said now that that dog, when it sees her running, it just runs into the house. Like it doesn't bother them at all. So that behavior has been trained properly. It's like, okay, chasing and barking at a human being is not acceptable behavior. You might get a face full of pepper spray and be very uncomfortable. And so to that end, you know, I think that might be a better solution. And I do carry bear spray. Again, I kind of have an idea of where all the dogs are. And depending on how the wind is, I'll kind of plan out my route. Because sometimes, you know, the dogs will hear you coming down the gravel road. And if the wind is carrying your sound, they're ready for you. You know what I mean? Whereas there's other times where I know I got the wind in my favor and I can be past their house. I can look out and I can see the dog there and I surprise them. And usually I'm... I'm, I'm close enough to being gone that they don't even bother running. So, uh, hopefully I never have to use that, but that's always there as an option. Uh, but it has been so nice, uh, just to go out for a ride and I pull over. I'll sometimes just sit there and stop and have a drink of my water. And there's just total silence. It's just quiet. And it really makes me realize that, you know what, this is what I need to be doing more of this. This is kind of like, this is what feeds my soul, you know? Uh, I'm enjoying it. I take my kids out for rides a lot and stuff as well. We're having a great time. My wife isn't big into the winter cycling. <laughs> I don't blame her. Uh, but my kids, uh, most of my kids are down for it and they're, we're having a good time exploring. And uh, always now I kind of got to think, I've got a fat bike now and I, I know my boys are like, oh, we want fat bikes. And I'm like, oh man, I need to, uh, it seems like it's a never ending job for me trying to keep my entire family uh, fitted with proper running decent bikes. And with the kids growing, it's like, okay, now I'm always looking for a little bigger frame for this one. And this one's outgrown this, and we can hand this bike down to this kid and yada, yada. It's a bit of an ordeal, but I really enjoy it. Uh, wrenching on bikes is like, oh, it's so good. I love it. I love bicycles and stuff like that. 
Uh, to that end, um, projects coming up, I do, am, I'm going to be going ahead with a mezzanine in the garage. I know I've talked about it before on the podcast. I'm hoping within the next week or two, I can get on that and it'll be a good project for my boys and I to do. We'll put a little mezzanine up there. And one reason I need that is to store stuff, uh, camping stuff, outdoor gear, bicycles, um, kind of running out of room in the shipping container. It's, it's just packed full of bikes right now. And it's kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, but I'm excited about that. Another thing that I'm looking into getting here soon, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of research, but I think I'm going to be buying, uh, one of those bolt on surface grinding attachments. And I think the one I'm going to buy is from Black Fox Grinders. Uh, looking at all the ones out there and knowing what I know about his grinders, I mean, there's a lot of grinders on the market now, bell grinders, and I think it's great. We need more options and competition is good for the consumer. But seeing what's out there, you know, the one that I had before, my, I still have my KMG, and then the one that he's done, he has put so much thought into it, right? It's not just some guy in his garage who's like, oh, I'm going to make a grinder, Um this guy is like an engineer, he's a mechanical engineer, and he has come at it from a very scientific standpoint. And it is incredible how using that machine, like I can't look at it and tell the difference. I can't look at it and say, oh yeah, I can see exactly what he did here. You know, it, it looks similar to, it's a two by 72 grinder. You know, it, there's little nuances here. This part might look different. That part, he might use a different mechanism to do this. But when you're actually using the grinder, you start to realize like, oh wow, this, this is something else. It's something that you almost can't put your finger on exactly what it is that makes a difference. And maybe rather it's the sum of the whole, you know, the entire package being put together. Um, so I'm looking at getting his uh, surface grinding attachment. Works very similar to all the other ones that work on a 2x72. I've been looking for like a stand-up, a freestanding surface grinder. Uh, but here they're just outrageously expensive. I mean, even used uh, anything I've seen is like four or $5,000 and none, nothing's located near me. And I really do want to be able to do a surface grinder, so I can, you know, obviously for flattening out certain knives for texturing knives, uh, with his grinder too, uh, a lot of them can do this, but you can actually set it up so you can just grind in tapered tangs without having to like, you know, it's, it's very, you set your angles in and boom, boom, you just grind it in and it happens, right? It's not like you have to constantly be checking or laying things out. And then I also thought about the fact of possibly for doing stock removal kitchen knives, I thought about the idea of putting in the distal taper before grinding the bevels. So essentially like you would be tapering the tang. And I don't know if I've thought fully on how the geometry would work. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts if you've ever thought about that. But if you essentially just ground in a distal taper, kind of like tapering the tang over the entire blade. And once that's done and it's even, obviously you could give yourself some layout lines. Then you just grind in your bevels, right? Then you can mark out your bevels and then just freehand grind them in. And you're not worrying about the distal taper because that's already into the flat stock, right? Before the bevels are done. So I'm, I'm interested in that. And then the other thing I'm wondering about too, and this is something I'm not sure, but what if you could adjust uh, the tilt of the knife when it's on there so that, you know, I guess it only work for generally flat blades, but if you could grind in your your bevels with, you know, normally when you're grinding a bevel, the belt is running perpendicular to the knife, right? Whereas if you were doing it as if you're tapering a tang or something, and instead of, you know, keeping that stock flat, you're actually putting in your angle of your bevel. Um, it'd be interesting to do, to, to think about that. I think it might work for stuff like cleavers and, and things like that. Uh, you know, just some way where you could do a lot of the, the removal of the material 
and have it very repeatable, right? And then once you've got most of it done, then you can pull it off, go in there and finish it up by hand. Uh, then again, too, thinking about this, I don't know if it's actually worth it because, I mean, it's not that bad to to grind a knife. You know, once you've done a few and you've, you've built up that skill set and that muscle memory, I find myself always trying to beat that somehow with a jig or a fixture, get away from the skill <laughs> that I've taken time to learn. So it's kind of weird, but it also kind of keeps it fresh and interesting. I, I think the biggest thing for knife making for me is that I always want to be trying new ways of doing it. You know, if you get to a point where it's like, okay, cool, I can grind this knife like this. And if you just stop there and that's all you ever did, uh, personally, I would get bored out of my mind with that. So it's always kind of fun to think about these little little tricks and, and new ways and jigs and fixtures and all kinds of stuff. Even I've thought about maybe trying to mill uh, blades, you know, bevels in on my milling machine. Uh, ultimately, though, I don't, th- I don't think that's very reasonable because my milling machine is, it's so small. It's not very rigid. There's a lot of chatter and stuff like that. But that's kind of going on. Um, I've got to get a video out for my sponsor this week. And then I've got another, uh, hopefully next month, I'll have a little time to put out a big project video. And I'm really excited. It's going to be one of two things. And uh, I won't give it away yet, but uh, it should be pretty fun. And uh, either one of them would have a lot to do with knife making and pertain to that. But they're fairly big builds. Like I'm talking like it's going to take me a week or two of solid work. Uh, just to build it. But the nice thing is all the components, I mean, it's going to be fairly expensive for what I'm thinking, but that's all covered by my sponsor. So that'll be great. But I just want to jump in and give you something to listen to. Um, I know I, I do apologize for not being very consistent with my podcasting. And again, it's kind of one of these things where, you know, we only have so many hours in a day and uh, got to pay the bills first and foremost. And then even as it is now, I'm kind of like, you know, even with the YouTube, I'm like, if, if I really just busted my chops and spent all my time doing YouTube videos, all my free time doing YouTube videos, and at the end of it all, you know, if it was all over tomorrow, is that what I'd wanted to do? I guess ultimately, uh, the thing that I've been thinking about lately is who's I'm, who am I trying to please and by whose standards am I living my life? And this, like I said, this whole thing that we're all going through right now uh, wherever you stand on it, uh, I think it's done a good job at making us all realize that maybe it hasn't. Uh, I think it would benefit us all if we think about, okay, you know, what are we doing with our lives? Is this for us? Are we living on our own terms? Or are we just doing things because society has said, oh, you need to do this. Oh, you need to you need to make more YouTube videos. Oh, you have to get out a podcast. Uh, I enjoy making YouTube videos. I enjoy doing podcasts. But these are one of many things that I enjoy. And, um, you know, if it were all to be over, what would I rather do? Make more YouTube videos or ride my bike more? I think ultimately I like, I like to ride my bike a little bit more, spend a little bit more time, uh, with my family, uh, more time with my kids. I'm starting to spend a little more time with the kids in the garage, which is great getting back into that. Uh, my second son, he has taken up on himself the project. He wants to build an electric guitar. So we're working on that right now. We're kind of making the the template out of MDF. So we've kind of gotten the shape and then we need to router all the different pockets for the electronics and the switches and the knobs. And then once we've got that all dialed in, then we're going to go find some nice wood and then the real work begins, right? Then we're going to need to start thinking about doing all this stuff in a matter that's going to give us a really nice product at the end of it all. So I'm really excited about that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, actually right now, as I'm recording this, all my kids are at music lessons 
And this is something I was talking to my wife with last night. Uh, my daughter plays a few flute, piano. My youngest son plays a piano. And then my two oldest boys play the guitar. Uh, my daughter also plays guitar, but she's not in guitar lessons. And it is so nice. Um, our kids love music. We never have to tell them to practice, like ever. Uh, in fact, sometimes we'll be like, you know what, can you just not play the piano right now? The piano is kind of in our living room. <laughs> sometimes it's like, hey, we need a little time frame, you know, maybe right after supper for an hour. Nobody's allowed to play the piano because <laughs> it is literally that busy. It's like, but it is so nice because they're actually getting half decent. Uh, the, their music is starting to sound like music and they're actually doing it well. And our house is always, when they're not doing school, there's live music in our house somewhere. And it is such a joy. Like every day I come in, you know, come in for supper and my daughter's playing the flute and, you know, my, my boys will be downstairs playing guitars together. And I'm like, this is so nice. It's just good music all the time. Even my youngest is getting really good. He's only been in lessons for a short while. He's, you know, their old teacher kind of is going back to university. So we had a new teacher and this new teacher is incredibly talented. Uh, her kids have played for, like for the queen, um, just an incredible music mind. And I, I feel we're very fortunate to have her teach uh, our kids. And it's just a night and day. It's incredible how good they're getting. And uh, man, it's so nice. I really enjoyed it. I, I was talking to my wife last night. I thought, this is really, this is something I never thought about. Uh, you know, when you become a parent, you have your first kid. And really, I think at that point in your life, you're not thinking about what kind of home do we want to have? What sounds do we want there to be in our house when our kids are teenagers? And I feel very fortunate that this is what we're listening to right now. You know, we've kept our kids away from video games, uh, mindless stuff. I'm, I'm very much anti-video game. <laughs> I know a lot of people take exception to that. That's fine. That's fine. You're entitled to play video games if you want. I just think they're an incredible waste of time. And ultimately, the fact of the matter is they do not contribute to society. One could argue music doesn't either, but... I think it has a more of a place, a more valuable place in society um, than video games. Uh, music can be looked back. History can be studied through music. Uh, music can have a very powerful impact on a certain time, a generation. I don't know that video games can do that thing. So it's it's really great. I'm really enjoying it and uh, super, super nice to come into. But that is a quick update as to what I'm up to. I hope you're doing really well. Uh, hopefully things are going good for you. Uh, I know there's, you know, it's kind of interesting to see what's going to happen. There's some new changes with the president of the United States of America. Uh, you know, he canceled that pipeline that just totally, it hit Canada pretty hard. Like overnight, 2,000 jobs were lost. Uh, there's 50,000 future jobs that are gone. Um, it's kind of funny to, you know, people talk about green energy and uh, it's highly controversial, but I really don't think it exists. <laughs> I mean, you know, people look out and they see all these windmills like, wow, that is so nice. And I'm like, do you know how those are made? You know, the wind turbine that you see out there spinning, those, to make one of those, you end up burning so much coal and coke to make the steel that that is the equivalent amount of energy that that turbine can produce in 100 years. So that turbine has to run maintenance-free, trouble-free for a hundred years in order to be neutral, in order to offset the coke and the coal that were burned to make it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like same thing with, with uh, solar panels, right? I mean, I haven't seen a solar panel farm. I don't think you can go harvest them. I think there's this misconception that 
any different type of energy is green energy. When I hear people talk about being carbon neutral, you can't use any electricity in that case because copper wire has rubber on it, which is petroleum based. And there's a certain sense where I think people feel, oh, that's so self-righteous. Yes, I can do this. I can do this. You know, everybody praises Elon Musk, you know, the crazy Canadian farm boy uh, for his cars. And yeah, he's, he's got electric cars. But if you look into how horrible uh, uh, environmentally it is to harvest for those batteries, and then you look at his SpaceX programs and you look at one flight, I think he probably does more in emissions and greenhouse gases in one of those flights than I probably will do in my entire life. You know, I think a better way to think about energy is that no matter where you get it from, it has a cost. I think buy less crap is going to help out. But I don't think we can totally get away from, uh, you know, plastics. How are you going to do blood transfusions? Uh, how are you going to how are you going to transport electricity without wires and the installation on wires? That's all petroleum based. You know, I think I, I think I would love to see somebody come along who's who's bright and who actually thinks at it realistically, rather than being oh, oil and gas is evil, plastic is evil, green energy is where it's at. Well, solar panels are horrible; they're toxic. They're horrible to produce solar panels. It is horrible to produce a wind turbine. I wish we could get somebody intelligent that would say, hey, look it. This is how it is. Let's look at it. Let's do a comparison. Okay, when we harvest oil and gas, it does this to the environment. I agree. I'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen. But people put up a wind turbine and nobody says, wait a minute, how is that made? What is the environmental impact on actually making that? And it is massive. You know, at the same time, all the equipment that they use to pull oil and gas out of the ground, that is all steel, right? That has been smelted down with coke and coal. And so there's a huge cost to that too. I just, you know, I look at Formula One and they want to be carbon neutral by uh, whatever the year is. And I just, this whole thing, carbon neutral is such a joke in my opinion. There's no carbon neutral. There is none. Unless it's organic stuff that can be pulled out of a field, it's not carbon neutral. It can't be. You know, there's infrastructure in place that was put in place to produce and manufacture and design. You know, your computer, your phone, that stuff isn't good for the environment. That stuff's terrible for the environment. But at the same time, you know, what is the cost of progress? I think that's part of the cost of progress. And I think if we look at it from a rational standpoint and say, you know what, there is no green energy. But let's try to think about how we could best use our energy. Let's be... Uh, let's not waste energy. Let's let's hold back. If it's not necessary, let's try not to do it or buy it or purchase it. You know, I think when I think about environmentalism, I'm always like, why don't they just shut down Walmart? Or these big box stores that sell a whole bunch of useless stuff to people that generally can't even afford it. And it's going to end up in a landfill very, very shortly. You know, I've taken that approach with my clothing. And when I buy things, I like to buy the very best I can. Uh, probably five or six years ago, I bought a Filson Mackinac jacket. And this is a very, very expensive jacket. It doesn't look like much. It kind of looks like a flannel jacket. And there's a lot of knockoffs. It's like the lumberjack red and black. But this jacket was like 450 bucks. Outrageously expensive. It's all, it's like handmade in Seattle. But I've known people that have had Mackinac jackets for over 20 years. 
And I thought, you know what? I could buy this Mackinac jacket, spend a lot of money, and have one jacket that's going to carry me through, carry me through, carry me through. Now, I might be crazy, but my rationale, to me, that is a good environmental decision. I think that makes sense. I'm buying a really good quality product. I'm spending more for it, but I'm not buying, you know, 10 jackets in that 20-year span. Most of them are all synthetics. This is 100% wool. And so I think if we want to be intelligent with environmentalism, let's let's kind of think outside of the scope of what is, uh, anytime there's a politician talking about it, think about, okay, what's driving this, right? Uh, anytime it's like hot topics in the media, say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, when Greta Thunberg did her tour in Canada, uh, it's so funny because, you know, she's, how dare you and all this stuff, um, driving a Tesla across the country. Her entire trip was paid for by one of Justin Trudeau's publicists. And incidentally, it was right before the election. And it's a it's just interesting coincidence when you think about it. You know, there's also a bunch of people I've seen videos and they'll, they'll look in the car for Tesla and she's got one time they, what they see like 13 uh, single use water bottles <laughs> in there, right? So she's telling us, how dare you? <laughs> and it's, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that's too extreme to one side, right? You've got people on this other side, you know, I saw this, this truck once, you know, here we've got these guys that work in the oil rigs. We, we call them rig pigs and it's kind of a general thing, but they've got big old trucks. They'll buy like a 60, $70,000 pickup and then put 50 grand into it. You know, they'll jack it up, um, big old wheels. Uh, one thing I've noticed, just a side note, generally speaking, the bigger the truck, the smaller the guy is it gets out of it. <laughs> That's just how it is, man. I've seen some big trucks and the guy that gets out of them, he's just a tiny short little guy. But anyways, so one of these trucks I saw, and it's a diesel, and you got the big smokestack coming right in the middle of the box, right? And then when they take off, they roll coal. You know, it's all the big black smoke. And he had a, a sticker on the back of his truck that support the patch, let it idle. And to me, that is one extreme end. This guy, you know, he obviously makes his living in oil and gas, uh, but his idea is like, who cares about the environment? We're going to support business. And then on the other end, you have, you know, we're going to outlaw all, you know, uh, Joe Biden, his whole, the Green New Deal, right? No gasoline cars sold. But electric cars aren't actually cleaner. Look at it. Like, unless you can find a place where you just pluck, you know, motors that are growing organically and these batteries that just grow up in the tropics and you can harvest them sustainably from the battery trees, there's a cost there, right? But people say, oh, it's electric. And they just close their eyes after that. Okay, shut my mind down. It's electric. I feel good. I feel satisfied. I'm doing my part. You need to be honest. You need to look at both sides honestly and, and actually compare the numbers. Say, okay, we know oil and gas isn't the best thing for the environment. But I feel like we're being fed a, a load of lies saying that electric is so good. Electric is green. It's not green. Now, it might be better than oil and gas, but that's not what we're being told. We're being told that this is the way forward without any data to show it. And when you start doing your own data, you can find some pretty dark stuff going on and, you know, on, on both sides. I just, I just wish people would kind of like look at it and be like, okay, let's, let's be reasonable here. Let's find a middle ground. And to that end, I have no clue how I got onto this topic. I'm not sure what I was talking about. I guess that's what happens when you do a podcast without any no any notes in front of you. Uh, when I record this, I just lock myself into this little studio that I have under a basement. I hit record and I start spewing. 
but we are at 40 minutes, I think. I had a little sneeze in there I'm going to have to edit out, so we're probably right around 40 minutes now. And I'm going to call this good. Hopefully this was a little bit of entertainment, mostly give you something to think about. You know, there are some very loud voices on both sides. You have extremes to one end and extremes to the other, but the reasonable middle ground you don't hear from. And so, you know, I'm... I mean, obviously I might entirely be wrong, but I consider myself to be fairly middle grounded. You know, I don't necessarily think that it's good what we're doing with the environment. Um, but I also don't necessarily think that the answer is just electric and not looking at the cost of electric and not looking at carbon neutrals. If you're carbon neutral, that means there had never been any carbon burned or ever will be to do what you're doing. And if you're in a building that was built, you know, using electricity, well, that's not carbon neutral because you're in that building. You need to be brutally honest and, and think about things with, with an honest perspective. Same thing with the pandemic. You know, I, I do think it is a virus, uh, but there's no way on earth. I, th- I think that it is what we have been told it was. You know, our numbers in Alberta, um, you know, certain places are just going crazy. I don't know. We're not, we're not going to get into that, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of cheering for Italy. I think it's good. I, I, I think it's kind of getting to the point where uh, people might say, okay, enough's enough. You can't keep us locked up forever. Um, and it is hard. You don't see people dying in the streets. I had one gentleman comment on a podcast where I talked about COVID-19. And um, he let me know that he works uh, in the COVID ward at John Hopkins Hospital, I believe it was in, in Baltimore. And he said, no, this is very real. And I understand that. Like, I, I, I definitely sympathize. I said, I appreciate your comments. Um, but at the same time, he's literally seeing people with COVID every single day. And he's seeing people that might be compromised that have COVID. You know, for the vast majority of, of us, even if we get COVID, we are entirely going to be fine. And that's the point that I think we need to emphasize. Yes, you know what? Let, let's be reasonable. And even before COVID, I think these measures were good. If you feel sick, go away, stay home, right? The worst thing is, you know, you go to like a, a parent meeting for cadets and, and one mom's like, oh, my kid's sick, so I had to bring him. I'm like, why? You didn't need to come to this meeting. And now you've got your kid here coughing and sneezing and blowing his nose all night long and we're probably all going to get the flu now. Sure, if you're feeling sick, stay home. But at the same time, if you're a healthy person, you should be allowed to see your family. You should be allowed to engage socially. The the thing about this is that this is no way to live. And we're not being told, you know, we had uh, restrictions for a couple of weeks and then they extend them. And, you know, restaurants are being destroyed. Industries are being decimated. The economy, we have no clue the effect that this is having on our economy. We're not going to feel it for years and years and years. And then you look at other places and they're just totally fine. They're acting like nothing's happened. I think we need to kind of be a little bit realistic with this and say, yes, we acknowledge there's a virus, you know, to the point where it's, you know, let's not be flippant about it. Let's be safe about it. Uh, Personally, I could care less. Like I said, I would lick every doorknob in the county. It doesn't bother me. I've got a good immune system and shucks, whatever. You know, the world death rate has held 100%, even with COVID. Everybody's going to die. It's what you do when you're alive that matters. And it's how you live. And, uh, I'm, I hope that we don't just continue to live in fear of something that is not that dangerous. It's, it's just not. And I know this is wildly controversial. 
Um, but you know, we hear, I feel that this, this voice, this side isn't spoken to enough. We hear everything about how horrible COVID is and how we're all going to die. And, you know, you got to stay away from each other and you got to wear a mask and you should not go anywhere and you're going to not go out to eat and shut down the restaurant. Don't get together for Christmas curfews. You have to be inside your house after eight o'clock at night because the virus goes rampant after eight. It's just weird. It's just weird. Stuff to think about, stuff that goes through my mind. But I challenge you guys, in spite of all this, in spite of what happens, you know what? Think about, think about what you're doing every day. And if tomorrow was the end of it, say if the COVID lockdowns got super intense and you weren't allowed to do anything, did you give up our opportunities today to get that last one thing that you love to do? I challenge you to carry that with you throughout the week. I I know I certainly am. I'm saying, what is it I want to do? I want to go skiing. I'm going skiing. I want to ride my bike. I'm going to go ride my bike. I want to hang out with my kids and build something. I'm going to do that because if you would have asked me two years ago and kind of painted the picture that this reality that we live in right now and said, you think this would ever be? I'd be like, no, (laughs) that's crazy. Things would never get that stupid. (laughs) And yet here we are. Very good eye opener. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually really glad to see this because it, it made me realize that there's things that I wasn't uh, things that weren't in alignment with what I truly do believe. You know, you say, okay, I want to do this. I want to be a good dad. I want to exercise. I want to go, blah, 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 blah. but you get caught up in daily life and doing things and blah, blah, you know, be the good guy and do what society tells you to do, and then you don't realize that you're not really living within what you think are your ideals. And so I've been really thankful for this whole situation, kind of realigned me and it's just made me realize that, you know what, life is very, very short. Uh, Make sure that today is the day that you're making account for what you want to accomplish in your life. Anyways, I'm going to leave it with that. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have a terrific day. And again, I don't mean any of this stuff to be argumentative. I understand if you see completely differently, I respect that. And uh, I'm always open if you'd like to have a conversation online or something like that, and we can go over these. We'll keep it civil. But I think it's important to to voice uh, respectfully the way you feel about things, uh, the way you think about things, um, and just give something to think about. And the same thing, when, when people talk to me and, and they tell me uh, their other side, I always will s- sit there and I'll think about that and I'll take it into consideration. Be like, okay, so, so let me see if I can figure it out. Let me see if I can determine if this is true. It's a, it's a, I think it's the best way. You know, you, you stay open to everybody and you evaluate and you think for yourself. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers.